Have you ever listened to someone describe something and think, yeah, there's a sense in what you're saying to me is true, but I don't think you've actually ever experienced what you're talking about. Where you talk to someone and they describe something to you and it, it just doesn't seem to coalesce with reality. I know I've had that experience a number of times. Some of you here tonight are teachers. So imagine a situation like this where someone describing what it's like to be a teacher, they say um, that all teaching is is teaching students simple math, coloring, and throwing in a movie from time to time. And that's what they said was teaching. Well, if you're a teacher, you know, okay, yes, I do many of those things, but that is a gross oversimplification of how hard my job really is. You know that that person hasn't been there to break up fights in the hallway. They haven't been there to talk with the crying student. You know, they haven't been there in hard staff meetings or talks with principals or parent-teacher counseling sessions or whatever it looks like. So there's a sense in what they're saying is true, but it's a gross oversimplification. It doesn't really correspond with reality. I think the same thing happens for us in church, specifically when we talk about the topic like the love of God. So many of us have sat through sermons where you've heard preachers talk about the love of God. They, they've heard things, they've said things about the love of God that in the moment you think they are true, but it seems like you haven't actually lived that out in the scope of reality. It seems like you haven't actually experienced what you're talking about. It seems like when you describe the love of God, it's not actually the thing that you're going to for fuel when the whole world comes crashing down. So there's a sense in which Um, everything they're saying is true, but it doesn't really correspond with reality. And when we come to church, when we come to conversations about specifically topics like the love of God, one of the most tender and beautiful things we could ever see in Scripture, we want something that actually corresponds with reality. When the whole world comes crashing down, when it seems like there is no end in sight to the suffering that we are experiencing in a moment, death of a family member, end of a relationship, estranged from family members or friends, whatever it looks like, We want something to go to that can be a bedrock and foundation for us when times are hard. We want something that actually corresponds with reality. And so, for us, as we seek to close out 2019 and head into 2020, I want us to study the topic of the love of God from one particular chapter in the Bible. Because I think in this chapter we will see a picture of the heart of God and of His love for us that actually corresponds with reality. It's not just a nice spiritual pat on the back that says everything is going to be okay in a glib way. It's something that is grounded in reality and can give us strength when it seems like the whole world is crashing down. And so we're going to do that in the chapter, many consider the greatest chapter in Scripture, Romans 8. Um, There was a Puritan preacher named Thomas Jacob, and he spoke of Romans 8 like this. He says, the Holy Bible is the book of books in some respects. It may be said that Romans 8 is the chapter of chapter. From first to last, it's high gospel, it's all gospel, and it is all of the gospel. It is having in it the very sum of all gospel revelation. It's indeed the epitome of all of the saints' privileges and duties. And you have in it the love of God and of Christ displayed to the utmost, shining forth in its greatest splendor. Blessed be God for every part and parcel of Holy Scripture, and in special, Blessed be God for his eighth chapter of the book of the Romans. So, in Romans 8, we see this clear picture of the gospel and this clear picture of the love of God. And I want us to walk through that because I know for us as a ministry, 
many of you tonight are new. This may be your first time or first time in a while. For us as a ministry, the last year or two, we have experienced a number of tragedies. There's been a lot of hurt in families, in friends, some really hard situations. And so I want to give us the fuel and power that God gives us from his word so we can have a leg to stand on when the next storm comes and that we can have joy even when we have sorrow. So we're going to study Romans 8 and learn about the love of God in light of that. Before we dive into our passage tonight, I want us to start with some table talk. Um, I want us to get our minds going. So what are some of the hardest parts about the Christian life so we can see how the love of God helps us when times are hard? So at your tables, take three, four minutes, and I want you to talk about what is the hardest part about being a Christian? For you, what is the hardest part about being a Christian? Talk about that at your tables for two or three minutes, and then we'll get some answers, and then we'll dive into Romans 8. My hope is that as you've kind of got your mind rolling on what is some of the hardest parts of being a Christian, that over the next few weeks you will see how God, um, in his love, in his gospel, gives us a foundation to endure when we're feeling isolated or we're struggling with holiness and trying to live out that higher standard or trying to see what God's doing in the world. Um, that's my prayer. So uh, we'll be in Romans 8 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn or tap with me there? Um, and uh, be, as you're turning there, let me set up. I want to I say a couple um, words of preface before we begin. Um, first, there is so much that we could say about Romans 8. Um, there are so many details. There are so many glories. Um, if you think of, of Romans 8 like a diamond, I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives just turning facet after facet and just looking how beautiful it is. And tonight, in our limited time, we may only have time to look at one or two little facets. And so um, there's just so much truth there. The, the Puritan preacher, Thomas Jacob, that I, I quoted earlier, spent multiple years preaching just on Romans 8. And when they asked him to publish his sermons, on just the first four verses, he filled up, uh, with just some of his sermons, he filled up 400 double-columned, extra-large, like this big size pages of just the first four verses preaching on Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. So we will not cover all the truth in this passage tonight. And that kind of leads me to this second preface. It's this, that... Um, my job tonight is not to give you this exhaustive Bible study lesson, but it's to say that as I've walked alongside many of you, um, been in hospital rooms with you, um, talked with you in hard times, wept with you, laughed with you, um, it's to take that knowledge of where we're at as a ministry, as a church, where you are personally, and take the truth from Romans 8 and apply it to you the best way I can. And so with those two prefaces out of the way, that we can't cover all the details, and that I'm going to try to take the truths that I feel like apply most to us where we're at right now. Um, with those two prefaces out of the way, let's dive in to Romans 8, starting in verse 1. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could just preach forever on that, but we'll keep going. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not to submit, submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. As you can see, there is a lot of truth there. But if I was going to sum all of that up for us tonight, I might sum up that long passage uh, with this phrase. Salvation comes through suffering. Salvation comes through suffering. Now this is straight out of verse 17, but I think it's echoed in the whole passage. And so tonight, our goal is going to be to break that statement down, that salvation comes through suffering. We're going to break it down from three different angles. Three different angles. And so first, as we begin to break that down, I want us to actually bypass verse 1 and the ending verses. And we're going to to look at the middle chunk of the passage first, about life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. And we'll come back to verse 1 and the ending verses in just a little bit. So again, so much we could cover here, but I want us to see what does it look like? What is the distinction between life in the spirit and life in the flesh? Because if we don't understand that distinction, none of the rest of this makes sense. And it's here that I think we see our very first angle for how salvation comes through suffering. The Bible tells us in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 that we are to live out our calling and election. And the way we do that not to say we're saved by works or anything like that, but is to show the fruit that we've actually been saved by Jesus. So it's to live to that higher standard of holiness, like we talked about. It is to live with good morality. It is to live loving others well. And it's a fruit and sign of our salvation. So salvation comes through suffering because we must sacrifice and suffer to fight against sin and temptation and to live good and holy and loving lives. That's how we live out the calling of our salvation. So, how do we see distinction between life in the spirit, life in the flesh, to make sense of all of this? I think you could say it this way. Living life in the flesh means to live as an unbeliever, as a non-Christian. Life in the flesh is a life focused on the things of the world. Someone living life in the flesh is, has a life centered around oneself. 
It's centered around job, school, dating relationships, money, and more. And our passage says that it is a sure pathway to death. Not just of the body, but of the soul. It's a life that is not centered around God. And let me say this as an aside, as we think about life in the flesh. There are a ton of people who attend church on a Sunday, who show up to worship, sit through a sermon, nod their head, might even say amen every once in a while, and walk out and have no idea that they are living life in the flesh and that on that current path, they're actually dead in their soul. Because just coming to church, just listening to a good sermon, the equivalent of a spiritual pat on the back, that's all we do with it, that actually does, that doesn't save us. It doesn't give us any reassurance. It actually does the opposite. Satan gets the victory because he's tricked us to think that we're good when we are on a path straight for hell. And that in fact, part of, part of the pulse check for this is to realize, again, just coming to church, just doing what you feel like is the basic, don't let that be enough. Because again, there's so many people that sit through a service, that come to church on a Sunday, feel like they're good, and yet for the rest of the week, you would have no idea they were a Christian. Not in their language, not in the way they talk about their boss, not in the way they treat their family, not in the way they give because they don't, not in the way they serve because they don't, not in the way they're involved in community because they're not. There's so many ways that people are not living out their election and calling. And so it is a dangerous thing to be that close to the gospel but not actually know what it is. So you can be in the flesh and from the outside look good. That's, that's the warning. This is a picture of a life that's centered around oneself. So, what about life in the Spirit? Life in the Spirit looks radically different. Living life in the Spirit means to live as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. It's a life addicted to making much of Jesus. Is it a perfect or sinless life? No. But if you were to look at the, at the trajectory of one's life, you would see an upward trajectory of becoming more and more like Jesus from one degree to the next, from one day to the next. And just take hope in that. It isn't this perfect trajectory. If you've ever been to summer camp, you might have a spike, and then you have the summer, the summer fest high wears off, and things kind of even out. You might have a struggle where God seems distant, or you're struggling with sin, but you keep on fighting. You keep on resisting temptation. You, you're involved in community. You're engaging in the Word. You're fighting against uh, Satan and, and temptations of the world, and you're on an upward trajectory. It's not perfect. It's not sinless, but there's a consistent fight to be more like Jesus every single day. There's a consistent reliant, reliance on the Spirit to be more like Jesus every single day. And here's the deal. Living life in the Spirit, again, means you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you, which is a huge privilege. People in the Old Testament would have killed for this. People in the Old Testament would have killed for this. We have an assurance in the Holy Spirit it is amazing. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us means that God is sitting on the throne of our lives and he encourages us and empowers us. We know that we are never alone. There's a reason that David in Psalm 51 is the king, as a special man called by God, says, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Because he realized how much of a privilege it was. So don't take for granted, if you're a Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. Rely on the Spirit of God. Live in the Spirit. Realize that when you sin... You have the Spirit of God living inside you. You are connecting God and others to sinful practices that you would never do if he was sitting right in front of you in the flesh. So remember that. Rely on the Spirit. Be empowered. 
be empowered by it all. So with those kind of descriptions out of the way, I want us to talk about this at our tables for a second. What are some practical examples that you can see in your life and the lives of others of living life in the flesh and living life in the spirit? So what are some practical examples of living life in the flesh and living life in the spirit? Talk about that at your tables. We'll discuss some answers and then we'll keep on going through Romans 8. So there are, I mean, we could spend the rest of the evening talking about examples of life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. But here's where I want us to take a turn on this. Most of the examples we might think of in our own mind um, that seem obvious are not always the most dangerous things when it comes to living life in the spirit or living life in the flesh. The most dangerous things are actually the little things, the things that we don't actually see ourselves. Because here's the deal. I, I know, as someone that's been raised in the church, many of you have as well, it would be so easy to sit through our time together and think, you know what, I'm not sleeping around with my girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm not addicted to pornography. And, uh, you know, I'm a generally good person. I'm not getting blasted drunk every weekend and think I'm good. I'm, I'm living life in the spirit. I'm good. Without actually realizing that if that's the attitude we take, we are dulling our senses to be able to see the sin that might be lying deep down inside. One of the most interesting things I've found is, as I've seen friends come to Christ, is that at the very beginning, obviously it's the very big and obvious sins that they notice. But as they begin to work through those things, it's the little things that they see. The more they understand about the gospel, the more they understand about the holiness of God, the more they see that the, the tiny, seemingly insignificant sins are just as dangerous, in part because they're hidden. We don't even sometimes know that they're there. And so it's worth us keeping in mind that it's not just the big things, but it's the little things too. And here's how I want you to think about this. Imagine, it's easy to think about your friend that's the farthest from Christ, that's doing the most that we could say about living in the flesh. It's easy to compare yourself with them and assume, I'm good. But I want you to think about, right now, who is the friend that you know that is not a Christian, but lives most similarly to you? So from the outside, you and this non-Christian friend, your lives look pretty similar. I want you to think about that. Have a face in mind that if you were to look from the outside, you look pretty similar to this person. But they're not a Christian and you are. Now think about that. To say, from the outside, if you're saying you're a Christian, we should look different, right? But you're looking so similar. Imagine if we could videotape every moment of your life and their life. What would be the minute things, the little things, that would set you apart from them to make it clear that you were a Christ follower? What would be those little things? Just going to church is not enough. Just like we talked about earlier, just showing up to church on a Sunday is not enough to say you're a Christian. There's so much more than that. So what are the little things? How are, is it how are you talking about your supervisor or a friend or a family member that you have a disagreement with? How do you talk about your professor in class? How do you talk about a coworker? What happens when you're on social media? Do you follow certain accounts because deep down inside you like the way that person looks and you want to be able to keep track? Are you posting that story or that thing because you really just want that person you have a crush on to notice you? And that's all you're pursuing. Are you, what are you doing and you're, what are you thinking about your body or others? Are you doing everything because you want to look good for others? Or are you doing it for the glory of God? How are you with people when they're hurting or when you're having a tough day? How do you respond? It's, it's the little things that set us apart. It's the little things 
that set us apart. And our job as Christians is daily to be watching out for that, to be in community, to have friends and family that love us so much that they would actually tell us if they see us struggling with something. Because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I've had some loving friends that have pointed out things in my life that I had no idea I was struggling with. And I'm so thankful they did because it was obvious to everyone from the outside. Confession and repentance is not fun, but it is part of living life in the Spirit. And being surrounded with folks and reading the Word to be able to help you to do that is part of how God manifests His love for you because He wants you to be more like Him. And the more you are like Him, the more you can handle sorrow because you can have joy in who God is. The more you can handle trials because you're enjoying what God enjoys. You enjoy the same thing He does. You're not pursuing the things of the world. There is a quote from a famous, uh, a famous theologian named Augustine. And he says this. I've modernized it just a little bit. He says, Lord, to your eyes, nothing about us is hidden from you. You see it all. Whether or not we can see it. What could be hidden within us, even if we were unwilling to confess it to you? We would be hiding us from you, or we would be hiding you from us, not us from you. We would be hiding you from us, not us from you. And see what he's saying, that there is a way to show up to church every Sunday. There's a way to do, live basically a moral life, to think you're doing good things, to think you're living life in the Spirit, but you're not, you're not continually repenting. You're not seeking God out in the little things. You're not seeking God out in your desires and what you're taking satisfaction in. You're not seeking God out in community for others to help you become more like Jesus. And without realizing it, you are estranging yourself from God. Because the more we become like God, the more we enjoy God, the more intimacy we have with God. And so ironically, we can kind of put, we can go coast through our Christian life, think we're doing well, look totally good from the outside, and have no idea that we are missing out with a massive amount of intimacy with God that he wants us to have. Life in the Spirit is not easy. Putting to death the flesh is not easy, but it's what we're called to. Now, we talked about what does it look like to confess and to repent. And again, none of that is easy. But it's important because what you might find is that from the outside, people are noticing sins and struggles that you have that you don't even realize. And so here's a personal example of where this happened for me. My junior year of high school, <coughs> I'm super involved in the youth group here. I'm serving from the outside. Everything looks great. But my junior year of high school, the Lord placed a calling to ministry on my life. I can remember the conversation like it was yesterday. I can remember talking with Pastor Brad Daniel, and it was, in no uncertain terms, a very clear call from God to enter into the ministry. And I remember laughing, in, literally laughing in his face and saying no, because public speaking was my biggest fear. Like if you would have told me several years ago, junior year of high school, that I was doing this, I would have just laughed at you. Public speaking was my biggest fear. I didn't feel equipped to do any kind of calling like Brad was talking about. And so I, I laughed him off and said no. And I actually thought I was being wise because I, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm not equipped. I'm not gifted to do that. No, he, he's wrong. I appreciate the sentiment, but he's wrong. Well, over the next few years, person after person after person in my life kept on speaking into that same truth, and I laughed it off and laughed it off. 
from the outside, everything looked right, but I was consistently denying something, a calling that God was putting in my life. I was in consistent and obvious sin, and I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize it. And it was because I was afraid. And so I ignored it. But it was so obvious to everyone else. And finally, enough people kept on calling that out that I finally realized, okay, I've been wrong. I've been in sin. And so I submitted. And here's the deal. I didn't do it because I didn't have fear anymore. I still had a ton of fear. But it turned from me coasting in my Christian life to say, okay, I'm walking into uncharted territory for me. And so, God, I need you to turn my fear into faith. I need you to equip me because I don't feel equipped at all. And what happened, I experienced an intimacy with God like I have never experienced. Because instead of just going on my own willpower and my own expertise, I'm just saying, okay, God, I don't know what to do next. So I'm relying on you. This is essentially the trust fall of faith here. And he held me up. And there's an intimacy in that that I would have never experienced otherwise because I was trying to live in my own wisdom. I wasn't emulating a life in the spirit in that sense. I wasn't stepping out of my comfort zone for Jesus. Something that wasn't obvious to me, but was obvious to everyone else. So at your tables, I want us to take just a brief moment. Begin. I'm not going to have you confess all your sins at your tables. It's not what the, the point of this is at all. But I do want you to think about this. As you process, what are the little things that I need to be watching out for? Who are the people I need to talk to? Here might be a test of if you're coasting in your Christian life or not. If you were relying on the the love of God as your bedrock or not, is this. When was the last time you stepped outside your comfort zone for Jesus? When was the last time you stepped outside of your comfort zone for Jesus? So I want you to talk about that at your tables and use this as an encouragement because at least for me and my friends, when we look back on that, We see ways that God has upheld us, and it gives us confidence to step out in the future. So at your tables, talk about when was the last time you stepped outside of your comfort zone for Christ? When did you ask God to turn your fear to faith? Talk about it at your tables. So let's bring it back in. We won't have time to, to give any stories out loud, but be encouraged by the ones you heard. Let that give you confidence that if you're wrestling with what does it look like, what's my next step to step outside my comfort zone for Christ? to live life in the spirit, to not coast through my Christian life. Use the stories you heard to build your confidence in that. So this this conversation about stepping outside of our comfort zone of calling leads me to uh, a conversation I want us to have as a ministry. And for some of you, I know you're new tonight, and so some of this won't make sense at first, but I'll explain God placed a clear calling on my life and I was disobedient. I didn't obey it for a while and I missed out on intimacy with God. I missed out on life change because of it. And when I submitted, it was totally worth it. I believe God's placed a pretty clear calling on us, not only just as Christians individually, but as a ministry. What calling would that be? Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. The calling that God has placed on us, not only individually as Christians, but as a ministry, is that we would go, therefore, and we would make disciples, that we would see life change, that we would disciple folks, not only just bring them to Christ, but disciple them, walk alongside them, build community, so that they might love Jesus more. 
in the history of our ministry, we're, we're a pretty young ministry in many ways, but in the history of our ministry, we have seen some beautiful pictures of this. Um, we have, we've had seasons as a ministry where we've reached people for Christ, but we've also had seasons as a ministry where we've coasted. Um, a couple years ago, we made a decision to move to a, a really a Bible study model. And so Jay and Jane are here right now. They're in Hawaii uh, enjoying the weather. But uh, Jay and Jane are the, the, they're a couple that's basically the wisdom of this ministry. And they are the, the support structure for us. They are incredible. And they invited us into their home. And so 10 to 15 of us met together and we did a Bible study. And we built some awesome community. It was amazing. But here was the deal. For as fun as that community was and important as it was, outreach was really hard. Because think about it. If you're a new person, you come to Pleasant Valley, you're seeing mostly young families and and older folks, and you're saying, okay, where are the folks that are like me? Where can I find my 20-somethings? And you go to the Next Step Center, and they say, uh, actually, you have to go somewhere off campus to a house you've never, of people you've never met. That's already intimidating. And then someone actually comes, and you can walk into a situation like that where people are so in the community. It, It can be a scary thing to walk into that situation. And we had some incredible community in that season, but we grew comfortable in that, com- in that community. It wasn't a drive for outreach. And so we had a family conversation in February of 2018 to say, we love this community. We don't want to miss this community. We don't want to lose it. But we feel like there's a calling on our ministry to reach people for Jesus. Not at the exclusion of community, but we want to build an even bigger and better community. We were coasting in some ways. We were growing comfortable with where we were at as a ministry. And so we wrestled through that. We had some hard family conversations. It was not easy. That's not the natural bent of of many of us here. And yet we stepped out. We came back to the church. And in doing so, we went from in one week 10 people to we had a summer kickoff event with 85-plus folks. It was immediate growth. It was an immediate answer to prayer. And in that time, I got to watch one of the sweetest thing I've ever seen ministries. I get to watch people in that community step outside their comfort zone. People that aren't drawn to greet, to, to, uh, to, to seek out others in conversation, to initiate and, and serve in many of those ways. I got to watch them step outside their comfort zone and so much fruit came from it. It was amazing. I watched growth personally. I mean, it, it was just like a stake for my soul, watching the way people were stepping outside their comfort zone for Jesus, watching the way that because of that, because they were inviting classmates, they were serving, sometimes for the first time ever, they were taking these next steps, people were coming to Christ, people were getting baptized, people were becoming members of churches for the very first time, they were getting plugged into biblical community for the first time. I mean, lives were being changed in an amazing way because people were willing to step outside their comfort zone for Jesus. But as we've tried to search out, try to find our identity, the, the ministry has kind of tried to zero in on what is our identity, and we've just now begun to kind of settle into that. This feels right. This feels like more of like who we are. There is potential for us to coast. There is potential for us to coast. We have our community. We, we have our friends. It would be easy for us just to enjoy that. And yet, we could, as we coast, missed out on the calling that has been placed on us as a ministry to go, therefore, and make disciples so that we can watch God do life change and see others live life in the Spirit. 
And I don't want us to coast as a ministry. I don't want us to miss out on what may seem obvious from the outside, but may be blinding for us on the inside. And so one of the things that I've, I've tried to do as, we, as we've had new folks is I try to sit down and have conversations with them to say, what was your experience? And they have been so thankful for the ministry. Uh, many of you may know, short of going downtown, there are not many churches that have community for people our age. It's hard to find. There are many of you here tonight that don't actually attend Pleasant Valley on a Sunday morning because there's not, you go to another church, but there's not that kind of community at your church. So, I mean, this is a huge mission field for us. And if we coast and we get too comfortable, we're not willing to step outside of our comfort zone as a ministry, then we can miss out on our calling and an incredible opportunity. None of this is to be the decrease of community, but it is to build an even better, even deeper community. I don't want us to miss out on it. When you talk to sometimes new folks that, that come in and say, How, did you feel welcome? Did you feel greeted? And in many ways, for them, they see that there are a lot of people that know each other really well. They see how close the community is. They love it. After group is over, people are talking. You can tell they're close. But it's hard for them to enter into sometimes those groups and those conversations. And yet they, they love this. They love the potential of this. And so they've come back. They, they, they've stuck it out. And our job is to make anyone that comes feel welcomed. We have no idea what kind of hell they may have been through just to get here. We, we have no idea that, that how much they're putting themselves out there for Christ just to come here on a Thursday night. And so we want to honor that. And so as a ministry, I want us to have this in mind. That is, we, we feel more comfortable together. We know each other better. I don't want us to coast. And here's why. Because I want us to be able to live out this calling because here's the second angle of our, of our time. Salvation comes through suffering. In order for people to hear the message of salvation, we have to sacrifice and suffer and put ourselves out there so that they might actually hear the gospel. That's what Romans 10 is about. Paul is saying, how could someone know the gospel if they have not heard? And our job is to tell them. We have an opportunity this upcoming January and February to live this out. This is, this is the first time I've announced this. This is, I've been so excited. We've been working for months to get this opportunity ready. And it's here. And it's our chance to step out. Many of you know, William Jewell College is really close to here. It is like right in our backyard. Jewell used to be a Christian school. But over the years has faded from that. And so it has become really hard to have gospel ministry on the campus of William Jewell. Um, in fact, a number of us have sought that out, and, it, and it's become almost impossible. Um, it's been years since there has been good gospel ministry at William Jewell. But here's the deal. Through some, a ton of meetings, a ton of partnerships, key relationships, for the very first time in years, we have the opportunity to start gospel ministry on William Jewell's campus. I mean, this is an exciting opportunity. And not just us as a ministry, but we, we would partner together with multiple churches and their young adult ministries to come together and have a once-a-month worship night with a sermon. And the idea would be not only fellowship together so that we wouldn't be so dispersed and isolated, that we'd have fellowship together, but also that it would draw in non-Christian students from Jewel and that they might hear the gospel for the first time. The intent that these churches would come together and proclaim the gospel. They would put themselves out there so that people might hear the saving news and love of Jesus for the very first time.
And this is personal for me because I experienced something like this when I attended Mizzou. When I went to Veritas, my college ministry there for the very first time, I, I went in by myself, felt totally alone. There's this big room of people. And I walked in, sat down by myself, felt totally isolated. And yet this girl and a couple of friends of hers um, who had been in the ministry for a few years sat down next to me. We maybe had a 30-second conversation, but she made me feel welcomed. She let me know what this was all about. And that's all it took just for me to say, okay, I feel known here. I started coming back and coming back. And over the years, I led Bible studies in that ministry, which led to guys in my Bible studies, living Bible studies, helped lead with the leadership team and served in so many ways. And all it took was a 30-second conversation the first time I showed up. Think about the opportunity we have here at 20-somethings, but also in this service opportunity in the spring to say all it might take for us is to show up, have fellowship, be a smiling face, and have a 30-second conversation with the new person there. That might be what it takes for God to either change their life, to have them come back and hear the gospel, or for them to serve and put themselves out there for Christ. It isn't an incredible opportunity, but it will require something of us to step outside of our comfort zone. And the fruit that we could see from it is incredible. And I love you all too much to not push us to watch to make sure we don't coast as a ministry. I love you too much for us to miss out on intimacy with God in that. So, light of that, here's how I want us to draw a close. Final point. Salvation comes through suffering. I, I said that we would come back to verse 1 later, and now later is now. That... There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That salvation comes through suffering because Jesus suffered on our behalf to buy our salvation. He did what we could never do for ourselves. And again, what I realize is that it's so easy to sit through church, sit through a lesson like this as a Christian, and just breeze past this. Just think, I've heard this a million times. And part of the reason I think we can sometimes struggle to share the gospel, struggle with outreach, struggle to feel the weight and sweetness of this declaration of no condemnation is because we don't understand just how beautiful it really is. We don't understand just how broken we really are. That the gospel doesn't mean much if you think you're basically a good person. It means a whole lot if you know that there was no way you could ever save yourself. It changes everything. That in order for us to, to feel the weight of this declaration and feel the motivation to share the gospel, we have to understand just how broken we are, just how lost we were without Jesus. And sometimes, as we think through wrestling through the Christian life, you know, we've talked about how, how difficult it is to live life in the Spirit, to think about the little things. That sometimes there are even sins that we didn't even know about that we struggle with, that we need others to call out. I mean, it's not easy to live life in the Spirit. It's not easy to fight sin. We don't even realize how much sin there really is in our life. And as someone that, that's led lots of community groups with guys, lots of small groups, an example of this, just we're more sinful than we realize is this. One of, the, one of the consistent struggles lots of guys struggle with is pornography. And so we'll have a guy that, that's wrestling through that. He's trying to, to conquer that sin. And so imagine the situation. It's late at night. He's tired. He feels tempted. He begins to, oh, gets out his phone, types in the web address for his go-to site. And at the last second, he's wrestling. He says, no, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not giving in today. And so he clears the, the web search, and he puts his phone down, and he goes to sleep. 
We would call that a victory, right? We, we would celebrate that. We should celebrate that. But do you understand that if there was ever even a split second where that guy took pleasure in the thought of him giving into that sin, that is still a sin. Jesus doesn't just say that it's adultery that's a sin. It's the thought of lust after a woman that's a sin. It's as good as committing adultery. Apply that to your own life. I apply that to mine. There are so many times throughout the day where I am wrestling with sin and temptation and I get victory over it. And I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm glad for the victory. And yet, there was still sin involved because I took pleasure in the thought of giving in. I mean, there, we, we would have trouble calculating the number of sins that come up in our, even just our thought life. And so many of our friends who are Christians and non-Christians can buy into, sometimes subconsciously, but also consciously, of the idea that if my good deeds outweigh my bad, I can be a Christian, I can be saved. And even if that were true, if you think about all the sins, not just the obvious ones, but of your thought life, there is no way our good deeds could ever outweigh our bad. We would be totally lost in that. There's no way you could ever have enough good deeds to outweigh the sin that you struggle with in this life. But here, here's the deal. The brokenness is worse than that. Because how many sins in the garden did it take for Adam and Eve to be separated from God? One. And surely, I mean, they had lived before that. Surely their good deeds outweighed their bad. So the workspace doesn't work. Even if from this point on we were to walk out of the room and never sin again, we would just be as damned as our most depraved friends, the people that are farthest from Christ. That's how lost we are in sin. That's how holy God is. One sin would separate us. We are more lost than we could ever possibly realize. And so we're here on a Thursday night. There's a lot of other things we could be doing. So we're the people that are cognizant of the sin of the world. And we're more sinful than we even realize. And yet imagine how many coworkers, how many classmates, how many friends and family you have that walk throughout the day, have no cognizant thought of the sin of their life, assume they are basically good people, and at every funeral they expect, I'll be in a better place. Do you understand how lost that is? I mean, that is a pathway straight for hell, and they have no idea. They have no idea. The students at Jewel, who aren't Christians, who are living a ba- what they think is a basically good life, have no idea that that won't get them any closer to Jesus. He's not impressed by works that are still sinful at all. We have no idea how lost not only we were, but our friends and family are. And so for us to be able to sit back and coast is not an option. For us to sit back and coast is to act as if we are not as broken and lost as we really are. I mean, this is life or death. We, we have no idea if we're going to have a next breath or tomorrow. Jesus could come back in the middle of the sermon, and some of you might celebrate that at this link. But seriously, this is a life or death issue, and I don't want us to miss out on it. And even some of us can forget just how sinful we really are, because here's how we might handle church. Here's how we might handle what we say is life in the Spirit. We go throughout the week, imagine a chalkboard or a slate. When we go throughout the week, and... We sin, 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 sin. Tick, 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 tick. And we show up on a Sunday and we, okay, I feel better. Wipe the slate clean. Go throughout the next week. Sin, 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 sin. Wipe the slate clean. Or, you know, maybe if there's a day where we have a really good quiet time, we, we wipe it extra clean. And yet, you notice you never get ahead. You never get ahead in that. 
There's no way to get ahead. That's not an actual understanding of the gospel. That's a misunderstanding of how broken we are. And because of that, we can't understand how beautiful no condemnation is because here's the reality. It doesn't matter how many ticks are on your board, whether it's many or less, it doesn't matter how many ticks. The gospel is this, that it's not that Jesus comes through and wipes the slate clean. He shatters the slate so that you could never be counted as a sinner again. That is good news. And it is our job to declare that good news, that no condemnation to people because it will change everything. Not only will we become more intimate with God because we rely on him to share the gospel, but we get to watch lives change forever. If you want community, enjoy it now. But how about a community that lasts forever? That's what we're longing for. And that is what our mission is as a ministry. And so here's how I want us to close. I want us to take a really brief time, 30 seconds, and I want us to pray individually at our tables that this is a scary thing and that God would point out the little things, that he would give us the confidence, that he would turn our fear to faith, that as we seek to step out and influence people for Jesus, that he would equip us. So I want, you, I want you to pray for 30 seconds individually, and then I want one person at your table to pray out loud for God's help in that. And then Nick is going to close us with one song. So pray individually. I'll come back up, and then we'll close with the song. God, we thank you for who you are. God, that you loved us so much, you created us to know and love and obey and enjoy you. And God, you've given us the privilege of declaring victory to the whole world. God, that we don't have to win the battle because you've already won it for us at the cross. And so our job is to be a herald, to tell people of the good news that Jesus came to die. He took upon their sins at the cross. He paid the punishment they deserve and he conquered death and all the powers of hell and sin and Satan and all of it as he rose from the dead from the grave on the third day and he changed reality forever. And we want to declare that news, God. Would you help us as we seek to live life in the spirit, not of the flesh? Help us put to death the deeds of the flesh. Help us see that salvation comes through suffering. Not just the suffering on our part to, to live out our calling and election as we fight sin and temptation. But God, also that we would step outside of our comfort zone to see that salvation comes through suffering because we have to sacrifice and fight our own sinful desire of quietude so that we can share the gospel with others. We have to step out of our comfort zone to share the gospel with others. And God, help us remember that salvation comes through suffering because your son that you sent suffered on our behalf for salvation. God, help us feel the weight and the glory of that, that we might be motivated as a ministry, as individuals to share the gospel, that we would see an ever-increasing community of people who love you more, that we get to enjoy forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.